Welcome to ACE Audio, the podcast that supports, educates, informs, and motivates manual therapists around the world. We asked on social media for everyone to suggest a topic that we could debate live on camera. The idea was that we would flip a coin and decide which side of the argument we would argue. Regardless of our personal beliefs or views, we would research the topic and do our best to provide an informed argument for or against the chosen topic. The topic, should we still be using ice in the management of injuries? We're live. We're live on Facebook. Hey, Facebook. You've just tuned into the ACE debate uh, on whether or not we should be using ice in manual therapy. Um, We've got Gabby in the background here. She's just setting up various cameras. So we've got Facebook here. We're going to have Instagram live over here. Instagram is live, hey Instagram. And we've also got a camera recording at the back here. So for those who are just tuning in, this is the, uh, the first ACE debate. Yeah. Uh, and we're gonna be discussing whether or not people should be using ICE in manual therapy still as a, as a therapeutic tool. Um, we've done our research. This, this topic was suggested by our, our community, right? Yeah, so it is an interesting topic and there's obviously um, opinions and arguments for and against and yeah it's really quite interesting sifting through the, the literature when you have to pick a side whether it is aligning with your biases and beliefs or not um, so yeah so I've certainly um, learn a bit and hopefully learn a little bit more when I hear your side of the argument cool well we've we flipped on the, on camera the other day to see which side of the argument we're going to take because we wanted to keep this um, very unbiased hmm. Uh, and we wanted to make sure that we weren't bringing in our own um, thoughts, experiences, beliefs about things. Uh, we just purely present um, an unbiased, unemotional argument to it. Yeah, and I think that's the key, you know, taking emotion out of the equation, um, you know, you can start to get a little bit blinded by, by the facts and the evidence. If you've been uh, doing something for X amount of years and my approach always works, um, so yeah, removing that evidence, uh, the emotion out of the equation and um, seeing what we come up with today. Yep. And you'll see that we've both got a beer here tonight because um, we thought what better way to remove any kind of ego or bias from an argument than keep it nice and relaxed, comfortable, uh, and thought we'd share a beer while we share our ideas and thoughts and information that we've kind of pulled together for this. Just don't look at my notes. Don't you look at mine either. <laughs> <laughs> All right, are we ready to get started? Okay, well first, lubricate the throat and we need to decide who's going to um, present their argument first. So we're going to take it in turns. It'll be uh, three goes each um, and we will just take it in turns and work our way through the information and hopefully at the end of it uh, we will have presented a, a fairly balanced case for and against. So I will be arguing against the use of ice in, in clinical practice. You'll be arguing for yep. as we decided on the flip the other day. Now we'll decide who goes first. Okay, call it. Heads. Heads, and will you go first on heads? I'll go first. Okay, if it's tails, it's me. It's me, I'm up first. Okay, let's kick this off. All right, so to ice or not to ice in clinical practice. So I think most of us would be fairly aware at this point in time that in recent years, uh, the use of ice has been challenged to a great degree. Now, uh, back in 1978, uh, Dr. Gabe Merkin presented um, his case for the use of ice 
mainly around the application for uh, acute injury. And everyone would be very familiar with the, uh, the RICE protocol, rest, ice, compress ele uh, and elevate. Since that time, uh, Dr. Merkin has come out and, and basically made a statement to the, to the health community and sort of said, well, you know, that was an idea that I presented, you know, 50 odd years ago, really, almost 50 years ago. Um, since then, there's been a lot of research, things have changed and his opinion also has changed. So the originator of RICE has kind of come out and said, not anymore, that's not what we're doing anymore. So RICE eventually progressed from there, went on to become uh, POLICE. So a new acronym which stands for Protection, Optimal Load, Ice Compression and Elevation. So ice was still a part of that. Uh, and then since that time, we've had further developments. And the most current one, the most recent uh, acronym that we use in the, in the management of acute soft tissue injuries, uh, at least um, a, lo a lot of the research points to this being the most reliable, uh, holistic, um, and I guess useful way to manage soft tissue injury. And this is peace and love. So stay with me for this one. P stands for protection. Then we have elevation, avoid anti-inflammatories, uh, compression, education, and load optimization, vascularization, and exercise. Now this is really interesting because if the original version of this was uh, built around the, the use of ice compression elevation. Ice primarily, it's, it's believed that is used to reduce the inflammatory effect in that acute stage. And we all see that, right? Someone sprains their ankle, applies ice to that ankle, we see less swelling, we see less redness. So it makes sense that we reduce the inflammation. Now we see in this most up-to-date evidence-based approach, or the acronym that I presented just then, peace and love, that we're avoiding anti-inflammatories. We actually don't want to reduce the inflammatory effect, which tells us that I'm sure most of us would know that inflammation is a critical part of the healing process. So ice is a no-no in the acute inflammatory process, um, uh, I guess, um, management system. So this has been a real turning point uh, in our understanding. And I'll, look, I'll just wrap up quickly on this one because we've got a lot of things to get through. But we've moved away from ice and compression in particular. Now, compression is still used uh, in some research, still supports the use of compression, management of soft tissue injuries. And some research you'll see, I'm sure from Bo, will even support the use of ice in some situations, but we need to be very um, cautious with that and very um, specific in the application. When it comes to a general protocol to follow though, I'm gonna quickly do this again, protection, elevation, still to help with that removal of fluid and so on, avoiding anti-inflammatories, both in ice and, and oral and other types of anti-inflammatories. Compression is still indicated. Uh, education, as we know, is a huge part of pain management. Uh, and uh, reducing the, the ongoing effects of chronic pain. Load optimization, which we're seeing more and more in the research now. Vascularization, improving healthy blood supply to that tissue. And exercise, which we all know is one of the most evidence-informed uh, approaches to reduction of pain and improvement of function and so on. So there's a, a little snapshot of, I guess, the history of how we started, where we are now, and we definitely see in this, uh, in this current research that the ice is not, as, uh, is not front and center like we would have seen it before. Thank you, that was a great introduction, some great points there. Um, so I think it's important firstly to, to have a look at what happens when we do have a, a when we start with an acute injury. Um, obviously we have that uh, decreased nociceptive threshold. Um, so we're having more noxious input back to the central nervous system. We've got increase in inflammatory chemicals, which again, reduce the threshold of these nociceptors. So, um, we had an article by Ammon and colleagues that demonstrated the reduction in nerve conduction velocity, uh, increased pain threshold and increased uh, pain tolerance after icing. 
Um, so it's, it was quite interesting to, to look at this and see that the, the average reduction of 33% in nerve conduction velocity from baseline uh, to 10 degrees. So that's sort of the, the skin temperature that, that we need to get to with icing is, is to, uh, to 10 degrees. Um, so this data was suggesting that the, the increased um, pain threshold and pain tolerance in, in an ankle sprain um, there was a significant decrease in nerve conduction velocity um, and that may be one of the mechanisms by which cryotherapy achieves its uh, clinical goals. So, I mean, when we look at cry uh, kind of talk cryotherapy as a, um, as a useful tool that we can use for the, the management of pain, you know, it's been around um, since Hippocrates, it's been around for a long time um, and it's, it's natural, it's inexpensive, it's simple, widely accessible and it's non-pharmacological. -pharm so um, if we can use a, an intervention to reduce someone's pain um, without using uh, drugs, um, then, then that's pretty good in my book. Okay, great, good points. Um, and I think a lot of things you just touched on there flow over to my side of the argument too. So I think you'll probably hear us say the same things a little bit back and forth from different perspectives. But look, in 2019, so a fairly recent article by uh, Hasu and, uh, and others. So this one's called Clinical Practice Guidelines for Pain Management in Acute Musculoskeletal Injury. And again, that's probably the context where we're most likely going to see the use of ice in that acute management. So this article, first of all, demonstrated that the research that's been conducted thus far hasn't really conclusively um, demonstrated an argument for or against, okay? But there's still plenty of, you could still cherry pick your articles, absolutely, and this is why we're doing these discussions, mm. to stop people using their, or hopefully slow down the, uh, the use of people's um, uh, confirmation bias. You know, if you believe in something, you'll find the evidence to support it. But the, the research really is a little incon inconclusive. But what we did find in this article, which was a, a fairly large literature review, uh, they, the recommendations were that there's a number of things that you might use in the management of acute pain. And you talked about reducing threshold of activation, nociception, and so on. Um, that we talked about, um, in this, this article, they talked about using the lowest viable dose of immediate uh, release opioids. So there's still some use of, some indication for the use of opioids, even though we know that's a huge problem around the world. Um, regional anesthesia where required. Psychological interventions, which was interesting to see that, that that still can be useful in acute management of pain. Uh, TENS was indicated. Interestingly, aromatherapy and other stress relieving um, modalities that people might use to reduce that, the stress around the pain. Ice was included and of course elevation as part of that too. So ice and elevation were at the end of that list of things. And essentially what we're trying to do here is just find ways to reduce pain for that person. Now there's lots of ways to do that. Uh, essentially with the acute management of pain, we're talking about using the kind of the gate control modulation of pain. Now the key thing here, and this was again discussed in another article by Wang and Ni, uh, which is titled, Is it time to put traditional cold therapy in rehabilitation of soft tissue injuries out to pasture? And we're talking about the effect of gate control theory and how there are you know, 100 ways to skin a cat and you don't have to use ice. Ice is the easy one. You mentioned it's cheap, ineffective, uh, sorry, in, uh, inexpensive um, way to manage pain, and certainly is. But if we look at the potential slowing down of healing rates, delayed healing rates that we see in these articles are demonstrated that uh, ice can produce. So slowing down the start of the healing process, delaying that process as well. Um, reduction of nerve conductivity, 
sure that's good for the reduction of pain, but it ha how does it negatively impact the, the health of the tissue as it tries to heal? Reducing circulation to tissue, again, slowing down healing rates. Uh, reducing the delivery of nutrients and, and oxygen to those tissues, slowing down healing rates. And so yes, it's effective at reducing pain, we can't argue that, but what are the, the long-term effects of that? How does that even play out in the short to medium um, term with regards to impacting the, the healing process of tissue? Pass back to you. Thank you. Yeah, again, some great points there. Um, and, you know, when we look at the, the mechanisms behind it, it's still, still very uncertain as to what the mechanisms are. Is it um, the endogenous opioid effect? Is it the gate control theory? Is it the noxious inhibitory control? There's a, a range of different mechanisms um, that's, you know, still unsure as to, as to where we get these effects from. But, you know, you brought up some good points there and it's um, interesting when we look at um, ice being applied to primarily re relieve pain. Um, you know, it's used to reduce the metabolism, um, minimizing secondary hypoxic injury and the degree of tissue damage. Um, so when applied for rehabilitative purposes, um, it's primarily used to relieve pain, um, but that can then facilitate earlier exercise intervention and more aggressive exercise intervention. So um, Cote and colleagues found that ice submersion with simultaneous exercises was significantly more effective than heat and contrast therapy plus uh, simultaneous exercise at reducing swelling between three and five days post ankle sprain. So pretty interesting when we look at using ice as an intervention to, to get someone um, active as soon as possible. You know, and you, you, you mentioned the police, um, you know, optimal loading. So if we can have some form of intervention to allow for optimal loading, once again, that's, that's, that's a, 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 a great tool that we can use. Um, so another paper looking at the um, efficacy of, of cryotherapy following uh, arthroscopic knee surgery, and the subjects performed a one-week home exercise program, um, either cryotherapy and exercise or exercise alone. And they, so the um, exercise and, and cryotherapy group applied an ice pack to the knee 20 minute, for 20 minutes, followed by exercise, and the other group performed exercise alone. So uh, this study showed that the addition of exercise, uh, sorry, the addition of cryotherapy to exercise following arthroscopic knee surgery produces a benefit of increased compliance there was improved weight bearing status and lower prescription of medication consumption. So in combination with exercise, cryotherapy has a greater effect on reducing swelling compared to heat application. Um, and it allowed patients to increase their loading capacity um, compared to standard functional treatment. So I think the, the takeaways here is that we can use uh, ice to modulate someone's pain to get them straight into a, an active recovery program. Great, good points. Um, there was an article just tying into some of the things you just said there around pain management with hot and cold. So there's an article called Mechanisms and Efficacy of Heat and Cold Therapies for Musculoskeletal Therapy. This one, they talked about the fact that both heat and cold can be used to modulate pain. And we were actually having a discussion earlier today about how patients, some of them will prefer cold over heat, some will prefer heat over cold. And while we might say, well, we're trying to reduce, um, you know, we're trying to reduce pain, inflammation and so on. Well, 
you know, cold might be effective at doing that, but if it's, if it's the pain we're trying to address and there's no obvious signs of inflammation, then, you know, why not use heat? You know, why not use some warmth and because both can be used to modulate pain. The challenge you have, of course, though, is that heat has been demonstrated to provide pain relief and increases in blood flow, increases in metabolism, increases in elasticity of connective tissues, which is all the things we want to have happen in healthy or in healing tissues. But then you've got cold, which reduces blood flow, reduces metabolic demand and activity, therefore slowing down healing rates potentially. I know I'm echoing what I said earlier, but these are key things. We could use either to modulate the pain, but one will most likely be better for kickstarting and supporting the healing process. Of course, you're going to have challenges in situations of an acute inflammation, lots of swelling and so on. But I would say that, you know, even if you were to use cold, you, you really need to be thinking about moving away from that fairly quickly shortly after. One last thing before I wrap up, another article here um, by Quisian uh, and Mahue. Uh, the cold truth, the role of cryotherapy in the treatment of in injury and recovery from exercise. You mentioned, I think you mentioned cold immersion therapy, okay, cold exercise in cold water, was that right? So this one here talks a little bit about um, the immediate effect of ice and cold uh, or cold water um, post-exercise and essentially stated that soft tissue injury is only helped uh, if you immediately cool the tissue directly after. So we're talking a few hours after injury. If you wait the next day and so on, the effects are diminished. We often see athletes, elite athletes, doing cold water therapy, cold water recovery, the day after a bout of exercise. And at least this article doesn't necessarily support that. It's saying, yes, it can be useful in those first few hours, but it's also about maintaining a drop in uh, temperature of the tissue. Using ice, applying ice to the tissue to reduce its temperature intermittently. The old um, story of, you know, 20 minutes on, 20 minutes off for the first however many hours or 10 minutes on for the first hour and then so on. There's all different kind of ratios you might use. This research suggests that no, it's about reducing the temperature, maintaining that drop in, in temperature for a period of time, but only really effective in the first few hours after exercise or after um, injury. And if it is for exercise purposes, it's only useful if you then need to bounce back quickly into the next um, bout of exercise. So for example, multiple competitions on a single day, ice can be useful for recovery. But having said that, you know, most of us use it as a one-off thing after a big bout of exercise to recover and then you know, they might just go about their week. So I think a lot of the, the things that people have been using ice for, the protocols weren't necessarily appropriate. And therefore the argument to say, maybe ice is not the best way um, to manage injury, pain, recovery, um, I think is supported by the research. Okay, thanks, Bo. Yeah, that's interesting, because there is certainly a lot of heterogeneity in the, the research. There's uh, a lot of different protocols and methods in place, and it makes it, it's quite hard then to, to get a sort of a specific protocol of, of what to do. But I've, I've um, <clears throat> read that, you know, obviously we need to get down to that 10 degrees skin temperature but often using um, gel packs and using towels um, you know the ice pack wrapped in towels won't get it there either um, so it needs to be that crushed ice for the best effect but um, I'll move on to my next point which is sort of taking a little bit of a a different route but I found it really quite interesting looking at the um, the effects of cryotherapy on chronic pain and also psychological disorders um, and since the 70s there's been various different forms of cryotherapy 
um, applied to people suffering from autoimmune diseases um, and it's been used to alleve, uh, alleviate inflammation, um, pain and arthritis, osteoarthritis and pain relief for fibromyalgia. Um, so we know that with autoimmune diseases there is a, an overactive immune system leading to that pro-inflammatory environment. Um, so whole body cryotherapy has a suppressing ef effect on an overactive immune system. Um, and research has demonstrated that uh, decreased levels of pro-inflammatory cytokines and oxidative stress after the treatment of whole body cryotherapy. Um, so really interesting when we think of you know, depressive disorders and, and um, lower um, nociceptive states where they, um, they can have a, a lower pain threshold. Uh, perhaps using whole body cryotherapy can be quite effective. And then when we start to move into um, whole body cryotherapy as an adjunct of depressive and anxiety disorders, um, you know, last century patients were, were treated uh, wrapped in cold sheets and towels um, to calm them down when they're in a heightened uh, agitated state. Um, so cryotherapy may play a positive role in, um, in treating patients with anxiety disorders and, and calming, calming them down and, you know, when we think about the effects of the endogenous opioid mechanisms, um, you know, the, the effects of this can be quite advantageous without using um, drugs or, you know, uh, as an adjunct to their other treatments, um, it, it can be really quite interesting uh, as an add-on, um, as something that they can also do as self-management um, to not rely on, on pharma, pharmaceutical drugs. So um, yeah, I think, think that's quite interesting when we, a lot of us um, treat and work with, with patients in chronic pain um, and it could be something that we could promote uh, or look into to um, sort of, yeah, promote a bit more of a, an active recovery or a more of a natural uh, mechanism to relieve someone's pain. Cool. Well, that brings us to the end of our debate. And I guess at this point, at the end of a debate, people would usually vote on the, uh, the winner. But rather than vote, what we'd like you to do is actually comment. Think, of, th think about what the key points, the, t the key takeaway points were for you. What did you learn? What challenged your thinking? Um, what opened your eyes? Put them in the comments, share them with people. If you found a research article that you think would help to uh, broaden everyone's understanding on this topic, pop it in the comments. We'd love to see that too. And Bo, cheers. Yes. Thank you very much for participating in that. And I think you probably agree, at least it was for me, a very difficult exercise. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, when you, you're reading through something and you're looking for a specific uh, point or a side to pick, um, it's certainly not the best way to research. So um, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's been a great exercise for us to, to learn both sides. But I think when, when you're researching, um, it is good to, to know both sides so that you can keep an open mind and um, you know avoid getting stuck in, in your own uh, in your own biases. Yeah, and I think look to be honest, we both came into this kind of following the popular notion that ice is a bit outdated, but also agreeing uh, in previous discussions prior to today that we know that there's room for it, there's space for it in the right situations, the right circumstances, and to sit down and present an argument for or against was actually quite difficult because it's too, it's too far in one direction. And I, think, I don't think anything in our clinical practice is 
an extreme end of a de- of a decision. Like it's it's always a little bit of in the right situations or in the right for the right patient. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Mm. Different populations, there's different reasons, different interventions, um, you know, and, and, and nothing that we do should be a standalone treatment anyway. Uh, it's in combination with other things, but, you know, often it's just that little foot in the door to, to help achieve a therapeutic effect. Great. And so, look, we'd, hope to, we'd like to do more of these debates. I think it's really good for our learning and hopefully we're sharing things with you to give you a different perspective. Uh, so if you've got any suggestions for future debates, we'd love to hear, you, hear from you on those. Um, and maybe we can present, again, a balanced argument on something that is a contentious point for uh, people like us in our industry. So thanks for your time. Cheers.